Good morning, loved ones. It is so good to be at Redeeming Grace Church this morning, to fellowship with you, to be cared for and loved by you. I pray that this morning God and his word, and of course Lorna and myself, will love you in the same way. It is so good to see you guys. We are just so blessed by the wonderful reports we're continually hearing about what God is doing here and how God is growing the church and ministering to each and every one of your hearts. So just want to say thank you for your faithfulness and your kindness to have us here today. I would be remiss to not say greetings from Canyon Bible Church, which feels a little weird for me sitting up here uh, telling you guys that. Uh, but nonetheless, we do pray for you guys often. And uh, I'm so grateful to you, John, Lindsay, and the guys that are serving and everybody here, uh, just to be able to come here uh, and feel welcomed and loved and cared for. Um, it's been, I think, about two years, a little over two years now, so time is flying by. Uh, but I'm so grateful for that. I want to uh, just let you know that we continue to pray, as I mentioned, and we will continue to pray for you. Uh, and you are welcome to come up and visit us anytime. It's $300 a night, and uh, I'm just kidding. All proceeds go to, uh, I'm teasing. Let's bow for a moment and quickly pray. Lord, we come to you with great hope this morning. We are here with concerns and heartbreaks and, and happiness and joy and great things happening and scary things around the corner. Lord, we know that this walk that you have called us to, uh, to be faithful, to trust you, to rest our joyful hope in you and your soon return, we pray. We trust that you would guide our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus this morning, that you'd minimize the distractions and cares of this world that go on in our noggin. Lord, that we would just desire to draw near to you, that we would just truly let you speak to us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray for just um, the kiddos next door as well, uh, to be redeemed at tender young ages and set apart for your good pleasure all the days of their lives. Minister through those teachers, those lifelong relationships that are probably being built uh, with the kids and uh, for the kids to remember the things that they have learned. So, Lord, we commit this time to you now in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Friends, this morning we are going to take a quick look at 1 Peter. Um, Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ, as you know, kind of a rambunctious guy, a great guy, a faithful guy, uh, and more importantly, the Lord was faithful when he wasn't, just like us, uh, so we can be encouraged by that. The goal of 1 Peter is to move our hearts, your heart and my heart, uh, to true worship. That is, worship of the true and living God by using two major themes. And we probably don't always like to hear about these themes. And they go hand in hand. One is hardship and one is holiness. These two themes in, throughout First Peter are hardship and holiness. I believe many of you are more than likely, if you're anything like those guys and gals up in Prescott, have all kinds of hardship, either recently in the past, just around the corner, or you're right in the middle of it and you can't seem to get out of the muck and mire of where you're at. You're feeling dry, you're feeling broken, you're feeling ashamed, afraid, all kinds of things that we struggle with. According to Peter, personal holiness, this is important, personal holiness is indispensable for enduring hardship. And hardship is a way that the Spirit makes us holy. God puts the two together for a purpose. In context, for example, 
The Christians to whom Peter wrote were living under the brutal reign of the Roman Empire uh, Emperor Nero in what is now known as modern-day Turkey. Nero so despised Christians that he would have them burned alive on a regular basis. He would have them crucified. He would throw them to ravenous beasts and have them devoured just for kicks. He was cruel inside and outside in every part of his being. Under his vicious rule, God's elect, as you can imagine, became anxious to have him overseeing them. Some of you might be feeling that today uh, with all the things going on in the world. But under his vicious rule, God's elect had become anxious, fearful, and spiritually weary, making it increasingly difficult for them to remain focused on God and worship him. Does that sound familiar to anyone? No? Let's close in prayer. We'll call it a day. Uh, So the apostle writes to this little scattered church to encourage them with the astonishing yet, yet easily forgotten truths of the gospel. Preaching the gospel to our own hearts is a highly perishable skill, and they were losing their grip on it. And he was hoping to fill them afresh with great, great hope in God. In his initial greeting, as we'll see in a moment, he reminds the church there that they are the elect of the triune God of the gospel. The Father himself purposes his saving work for those whom he foreknows. The Son accomplishes the work by his blood, and the Spirit applies the work to the sinner. They need also to rise and bless God, as we'll see in verse 3. They need to pull again on the anchor. I love that we were singing that wonderful, wonderful hymn. They need to pull again on the anchor of their living hope, the resurrected Christ, our Lord. They needed to be reminded that the inheritance they are going to receive is so incredible that words fail to describe it. Peter can only tell them it will never be destroyed or polluted, wore out or subject to any type of decay. And lastly, the apostle will affirm this great future is kept for them by the power of God. That is good to know for each one of us this morning. Nothing on earth, no matter how difficult it may be, can truly shake us loose. That means you if you are in Christ. Rejoice, smile, be built up in the faith of our Lord. Loved ones, God has promised every Christian Christian, an immeasurable inheritance in the eternal perfection of heaven that will one day be the actual experience of each one of us who are redeemed by God. We lose focus of that. We forget that, don't we? We've got plans for lunch, for crying out loud. Until that great day, we need to remind one another, and I put this down as the title, so this might help you. Uh, We need to remind one another until that great day that our Christian heritage is cause for praise. Our Christian heritage is cause cause for praise. This morning we'll look at five motivations for praising God, and we'll take them straight from our text. First, we'll praise God for His great mercy in our lives. How many of you have enjoyed God's mercy? How many of you hope to continue to enjoy God's mercy? Only a few hands. Okay, we know how to pray. 
Praise God for our salvation is our second motivation. Praise God for our salvation. When was the last time we praised God for our salvation? Praise God for Christ's resurrection is our third reason for hope. Number four, praise God for our inheritance, what he plans to give us for the faithfulness he's worked out in our lives. And praise God for our eternal security. Feels great to be secure. We got cameras, we got phones that show us everything. We've got all the things that we want to stay secure, and God himself just keeps our eternal security right where it needs to be. Here's the main idea. You might want to write this down if you're a note taker. Worship is, worship is what a Christocentric worldview produces in one's heart despite the harsh realities of life. Let me state that again. Worship is what a Christocentric worldview produces in one's ticker, right, in one's heart, despite the harsh realities of life. We talked about how uh, hardship and holiness go together. And when we focus on Christ, there is where the rubber meets the road. Friends, would you please stand with me? I would just like to read the first five verses of 1 Peter, and we'll finish up with verses 6 through 9 at the end of our text. Let's not forget we are holding the Word of God in our hands, and what a treasure it truly is for us that it gives us all the direction and guidance we need. May our hearts be open to it this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if I understand correctly, John, uh, the ecclesiology class is at 5. Okay, so if we're done by 4, 4.30... Okay, there'll be dinner available and great. <clears throat> so friends, following Peter's initial greeting, and before he does anything else, he stops to praise God. Look at verse three there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't begin his letter by addressing hardship and suffering. He will do that soon enough. Nor does the apostle start off by giving them lessons on how they should conduct themselves as elect exiles. That does come later in the letter, however. So why does Peter launch right into exaltation and praise to God? The same reason we should, and it's our main idea. Because Peter understands that worship is what a Christ-centered worldview produces in our hearts, despite the harsh realities of life. Brothers and sisters, praise and worship occur whenever our mind takes hold of these incredible truths about our triune God. 
because it quickens our heart with deep feelings of wonder, gladness, admiration, which then ignite this awe-inspiring gratitude within us. That's how you have this great heart of gratitude for the Lord, focusing on Him with gladness, admiration, and wonder. So what does that look like in your life this morning? I know if you're like me, it has ups and downs. It has ins and outs. It's not an easy thing. How often do you walk around your house and just like, yes, praise God. He's amazing. Or thank you, Lord, for my car being stolen. We don't really do that, do we? <laughs> but we do praise God for the wonderful things. And I wonder if it would be wonderful of our heart to remember to do that more and more. And encourage one another with the great things that you see God doing in one another. The little things, right? Let us be quick to care for others in that way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter tells us. That first phrase provides us with biblical perspective. The same biblical perspective that we need to have in good times and in hard times and amidst suffering. I would beg you to pray and write notes, take notes. I believe this section of scripture is going to be so helpful to you if you're struggling. And it'll be so helpful for you to help others who are struggling. It seems the more I try to help others who are struggling, the more I am encouraged myself, right? People say, oh, well, you seem like such an encourager. That's because I need encouragement. And I find that by encouraging and helping others, I'm encouraged by the Lord. And that's God's grace, right? We want to see his magnificence in our mind's eye and keep his <coughs> wonderful greatness ever present in our hearts. That certainly seems to be Peter's perspective when he wrote about God's glorious grace in the following verses we're going to look at right now. They are meant to cause that kind of work in our own heart. So, as verse 3 continues, know that it is meant to move your heart and mine. We're, we're always in need of this. It is meant to move our hearts and our affections to the boundless heights with the five motivations for praising God that we see in our text. Our first motive is mercy, as you may have written down. Praise God for his what kind of mercy? Great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. You see, great mercy is required because we sin against a great God. It helps us to remember that, to know that, and realize how great God is. We all love God's mercy, whether we know about it we, whether we know about it or what it's like or how it works, we love having God's mercy poured out on us because God's mercy means that we're not getting the punishment we deserve for being the wretches that the Bible tells us we are. And that's a fact. And if you're not sure, ask the person next to you before you go. They'll let you know you're a wretch. But they'll also love you right to Christ, I pray, through the wonderful declarations of the gospel. 
You see, when Canyon Bible Church added the Heidelberg, uh, at the beginning of the year, Canyon Bible Church, we decided we could use more doctrine that's like bite size, right? And so there's a catechism out there called the Heidelberg. How many of you guys have heard it? Heard of it? Uh, it was written in Heidelberg, Germany in the 1500s, and it is a very gospel-centered, very rich text to help us grasp on. It's not scripture, so it's fallible, right? Um, but there are wonderful truths throughout. So at the beginning of the year, we started each week, and there's 52 weeks uh, where you can go through and, and, and read through sort of a question and then answer. So we ask the question from the pulpit, and then as a congregation, we respond to it. I'm not asking you to do that this morning. But I would like to use some of the Heidelberg to fling a craving on you to think about getting into a good confession to build yourself up in the faith, to read to your spouse, to read to your, your coworkers, your children. Um, just get together and just go through that is a wonderful gift uh, to start because it'll get you in Scripture looking for more answers. And the beautiful thing is uh, the ESV version of Confessions and Catechisms has um, great reference verses throughout, so you can track right along with what they're teaching. So we're talking about mercy, and so I want to, we appreciate mercy when we recognize our misery, right? So I want to just read a couple of questions and answers to keep you going. This should be fairly quick. I'll sprinkle this throughout. Here we go. Here's the question. How do you come to know your misery? Answer, the law of God tells me. So if I'm not in the word, I'm missing the communication from God about what I need, who I am and what I need. Next question. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches this in summary in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. The answer is this. And you know this verse, these verses. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Friends, that is what the law demands, that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Another question. Can you live up to this perfectly? Here's where we start to see our need for mercy. No, John Filkey, <laughs> I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Next question. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No. God created man good and in his own image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall was so poisoned, our nature, that it is now in our nature that we all have been conceived and born into sin. So the Heidelberg is just reaffirming Scripture. We're not really affirming the Heidelberg with Scripture. It's the other way around. But I hope that these questions and answers are giving you a, a taste of our great need for mercy from God. And I love the succinct way 
that we get these questions and answers laid out for us, and I hope it helps you. All these facts are based in God's Word, and they're there to inform us that there is no earthly reason, no desirableness or merit on your part nor mine to indicate why we should receive anything from God but His wrath. That's what we deserve. But as elect exiles, we have been given great mercy. Do you guys say amen in this church? Okay. I'm just teasing, but yeah. So praise God for His great mercy. Now, the second motive or reason that our Christian heritage is cause for praise is found in God's saving grace for us. So now he's giving us grace. He's showering mercy upon us, and he's showering grace upon us. Our Christian heritage is cause for praise. Why? Because we can praise God for our salvation. Praise God for our salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... What did he do? He caused us to be born again to a living hope, to a living hope. God alone caused you to be born again to this living hope of what? Eternal life. Not just eternal life, but a life in the presence of God, worshiping, praising him, and being greatly nurtured and encouraged. Imagine how wonderful that could be. Question eight of the Heidelberg asks the question, But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. By no effort of our own. Friends, turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, many of you know what I'm about to say that the wonderful truths of Scripture are always laid out for us in the, in the indicatives or the declarations that God is telling us about himself, about us, what we need, what he's done on our behalf, and the future glory he's promised us, and so on. And then he goes on to say, because that's true, now go and do these other things. So I used to think when I was a newer Christian, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died for me. What do you want me to do? Just give me the stuff. It's like, whoa. The motivation comes from recognizing the great, great gift of our salvation through the gospel. And so let me just remind you of that beautiful truth. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you, redeeming grace church, right? Were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, 
the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Amen. It is all, friends, it is all and always was and always will be God's work in salvation. It's about God's mercy for salvation and God's grace in salvation. It's not our work. We are his, what? Workmanship. Only God can make us a new creation in Christ and call us to be a child of God, an exile and an alien in this foreign land, this passing world. He caused us to be born again to this living hope. As I briefly mentioned in the introduction, the apostle is brimming with gospel truth in order to build into us a quick reflexive response, a quick reflexive response of who we are to remember who we are in Christ and that he has promised us a living hope. So we would soar high above the difficult circumstances that drag us down so low all while encouraging God's people who are discouraged and entangled with the cares of this world, like many of us here this morning, I'm sure, we all can go right into that, can't we? But to pull us out of this entanglement and then to rejoice in Christ and look to the future, truly see and look through reading and studying Scripture what we are and who we are and where we're going. We are merely passing through a long line of cars going into Phoenix. I mean, you know what that's like? You're sitting and you're waiting and it's miserable. That's what life can feel like at times, right? But in Christ, he turns these things around for us, that the waiting is on purpose. As we commit to one another, love one another, gather together and serve one another, you will find more love bubbling in your heart for your brothers and sisters as you seek ways to serve them. Officially in ministry here on campus or over the phone, through text, through meeting, greeting, meeting in small groups, going out for coffee, caring for one another, the list goes on. Whatever you can create in your mind that would be healthy and Bible-based would be a wonderful way to go. And don't be uptight about it. Just open the Bible and read it together. Talk about it. You don't have to teach about it. Just pray about it. Pray through Scripture, right? Get involved. We've committed to one another. This is the body of Christ, right? Let's love, love, love the joy that serving God and his people brings about. Next, we come to our third reason. Our Christian heritage is cause for praise. Why? We need to praise God for Christ's resurrection. We need to praise God for Christ's resurrection. That's also in verse 3, as you see. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What are you talking about? I've never been dead. Yeah, we're dead in our trespasses and sins as we read earlier, right? That's why we need Christ. Jesus, the chosen one of God, left his heavenly home, humbled himself to live as an exile in this exile-like existence on earth and then returned to heaven. Loved ones, it is through Christ's resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven that every 
Christian in this room has been born again to a living hope. Our God's not still in the grave. Muhammad's in the grave. Joseph Smith's in the grave. Jesus Christ is risen. That's beautiful. Later in chapter one of uh, chapter one of First Peter, verses twenty and twenty-one, we know that Jesus was forsaken before the foundation of the world. God knew His plan, and He's worked it out. Jesus was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. <laughs> oh, I don't think gee, I'm not close to God. Hey, He's close to you. For the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in? How many hits on on your Facebook page? Who cares? Your hope's in Christ, right? It's, it's, It's a beautiful picture of God showing us it's not about our popularity. It's about his and who we are in him. That's where we're safe. Your popularity will come and it will go. It's just the way it goes. And sooner or later, no one will remember any of us, unless you're just really nasty, right? So what Peter is affirming to us is this, as elect exiles ourselves, we've been elected by God, redeemed by God, and we are exiles in this world. We constantly seek hope and happiness in this world that is not meant to be our home. We're passing through, and the work orders are to serve our king. So as elected exiles, the only cure for our spiritual homesick soul is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Unhappy, miserable in life, can't seem to get ahead. It's not about here. You're homesick. Your heart is where Christ is. Cultivate that. Build that up, right? Friends, do you see what Peter's letter has done for us so far? Are you picking up any of these these vibes here? (laughs) Just as his letter has done since the first century, Peter moves his readers from exile to hope in an eternal inheritance by the power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This has been going on for 2,000 years, that Peter's, the truth of God's word, the Spirit speaking into Peter and, and, and working out his pen to tell us these things is vital that we know about our inheritance of who we really are as exiles. Heidelberg, question 45. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Great question, right? First, there's three. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Two, second, By his power, we too are already raised to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection one day. In showing the activity of God in the past, one writer said, Peter helps us regain hope for our future. Let me say that again. In showing the activity of God in the past, Peter helps us regain hope for our future, for the future. The resurrection is all about God and what God has done, is doing and going to do. So trust God, hope in God, and praise God for Christ's resurrection.
Our Christian heritage, as we're seeing, is cause for praise. Praise God for His great mercy. Praise God for our salvation. Praise God for Christ's resurrection. And now our fourth motivation or reason for praise is this. Praise God for our inheritance. How many of you guys, don't even answer this, but how many, just, I want to say, how many of you guys have fallen into a massive inheritance? I want to be your friend. <laughs> Everything I just told you, I'm stumbled now that I know that and no. But, uh, you know, that's the idea here. What is your inheritance? It's not what's going to fall and you're going to have to leave behind. It's something God gives you and you have forever and ever and ever and ever. And it's better and better and better. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, verse 4, to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading are the terrific, amazing, excellent words to hear to stir our hearts to praise God for the bounty of blessings that have been promised to us. Beautiful. Astounding. Think about it. Every born-again believer's heavenly inheritance is imperishable. What have you ever had that's imperishable? Zip. In other words, it is not subject to decay or being worn out over time. Our future inheritance is also what? Undefiled. This means it remains clean forever, pure forever. It means that over time, it doesn't become stained. It's unstained forever. God's performance is perfect. Our performance is we deserve sin. We, our sin would cause us to go right to hell. It's not about our performance. We can't hop on that. How many of you guys know what a merry-go-round is? Anybody under four might not. I don't know. Uh, but a merry-go-round, when you get on that pony, what does it do? If, it, if it's working, besides go round and round and make you dizzy, you go up and you go down, right? Well, that's the way, if we have a moralistic gospel that we're living out, that's the way you're living. You're feeling pretty good that you read the Bible all week. I'm doing really good. I've got the church on time this week. I'm feeling really good, Right? And you're looking around at the guy that walked in late or the gal. I didn't notice you if that was you, but if that was you, everybody's looking at you going, oh, I'm not him this week. feel pretty good about myself. Well, cheer up. In a few weeks, you're going to feel lousy and miserable because you can't keep up the game. You can't keep up the fight. We're moving up and down, and we go up and down on this performance pony all around. It just keeps going around and around until we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he his performance when he redeems us is what he always looks at. You've heard the phrase, every day John Filkey deserves an F, you deserve an F, but in Christ you get an A. You fail every day. Don't kid yourself. Rest in God. Trust in the gospel. Remember who you are and encourage everybody around you. And then you're going to be thinking about that going, man, I got a coworker that's just always, this life is just beating him up. Man, share the gospel. Show him the hope. God's performance and not his own. If he needs to be fired, fire him. I mean, but I'm talking about his moral performance, right? Undefiled. All earthly inheritance is defiled, but not the undefiled heavenly inheritance believers have in Jesus Christ. It is flawless. It is perfect. 
And that word, that descriptive word, unfading. Like I had stated, unlike earthly wealth, it doesn't grow dim. It doesn't lose its luster or beauty or glory. Peter reiterates the unfading nature of the church's inheritance later on in 1 Peter chapter 5, which it's always fun to read through an epistle like that straight through and glean from it. He states this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading, you could say untarnished, right? Unfading crown of glory. Lorna rarely wears silver earrings anymore because she has to constantly, whatever you do to make them look shiny, right? It's too much work. Get the cheap ones. They look shiny for a little while and you get another pair when they don't, right? When they, when they peel off or whatever they do. The unfading crown of glory. Praise God, friends, for our inheritance through Jesus Christ. Agreed? This is the inheritance that waits, awaits us. That is all who are in Christ. Why? And that's why our Christian, inher- our Christian heritage is cause for praise. The more we praise God, the less we're looking at the, at the, the terrible things in our lives. Praise God and let him work them out for you. Go to him. Reach out to him. Study the word. Pray together. Care for one another. Now we arrive at our fifth motivation for praise. Praise God for our eternal security. Peter closes his look into salvation's future guarantee by assuring us that what God has promised rest securely. He tells us in verse 4, it's being kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. You're homesick because you're waiting for that. And you're trying to fill it with all these warbles and wobbles and things of this world. And those are never meant to satisfy, and they don't satisfy very long, do they? But our salvation is kept in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through the faith, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance is kept for us in heaven, for every Christian, And we are being guarded by faith, not your faith that goes like this, but God's faith to get you through is what we're going to talk, what what we're talking about. And that will be revealed in the last time. When we see that word guarded here, that means kept safe or carefully watched. Satan may want to talk to Jesus about your salvation and the Lord's carefully watching it. It's not going anywhere. He's keeping you right where you need to be because you're his. He has paid for you. You've been bought and paid for by, the, by his blood. And so this idea of carefully watched is actually a military term. So you can imagine if you guys have ever been in the military or are going to be in the military or would like to be in the military, uh, you know, watch, being carefully guarded, right? Some of you newborn uh, uh, parents of newborns know what that's like. How many times do you go in and check that crib and making sure that little one, you're, you're carefully watching that little monkey is doing okay, right? You want to make sure that the baby is breathing. And so more than that, Christ himself is carefully watching out. He is guarding 
our eternal security. This great promise is kept for us by the eternal power of our Creator God. He has stored it up. He has reserved this inheritance for us. And it's for those, every believer who is on his way to be in the presence of Christ forever. Still reserved for them. That leads us to the first question from the Heidelberg. What is your only comfort in life and death? What might that be? Well, let's get the biblical idea. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's the first question and answer. I love the way that starts. It sets you right there in stone with Christ, right? And then it tells us what we're to do, live for him. I found in my own life, when I feel stressed or anxious or off, um, you know, just not you know, all those kinds of things that we feel. I often recognize when I start to go back, what's going on? Man, things, are, I'm not focusing on the Lord. The Lord hasn't been my focus. Stuff has been my focus. Health has been my focus. A loved one has been my focus. A church member has been my focus in a way that it's wearing me down, right? And the Lord is trying to show us to remember that our Christian heritage is cause for praise. And so when we can get a little loose, God's probably just by his grace, letting us feel that so we come back to where we need to be. If you've ever been around horses or that little wire that runs around to keep horses in a pen, uh, where you, if you touch that wire, you get a little, whoa, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like a little electrified wire. And that's kind of the beauty of it. It's sort of like you're getting too far out. Oh, get closer. Come to me. Draw near to me. Remember who I am. Get the junk out of your noggin and let me love you and walk with you and show you the way, right? God did it, and God will get the glory for it. This is what Scripture declares regarding how we became recipients of this unfathomable inheritance. So, loved ones, as we get ready to close, we too must learn that hardship, listen, we must learn that hardship is not outside God's sovereign will for us. You don't have to be afraid of it. Because through, through hardship, God teaches us holiness. That's his goal. To make us more like Christ. So hardship comes. God never leaves us or forsakes us. He walks us through it. And he blesses us greatly. One word of advice, though, personal word of advice I remember as a brand new Christian, I was going through a terrible trial. Um, Somebody was falsely accusing my young 12-year-old son of something, which he didn't do, and it turned out he didn't. We had to go to court and go through all of that kind of thing. And we're waiting, and, uh, you know, we're just praying, and my neighbors are like, John, just go grab that guy. You know, we'll we'll tell the cops you didn't do it. He started it. 
was like, hmm, hmm, no, can't do that. But I remember we were at court and the Lord said they got their story so mixed up, they've lied so many times, I'm throwing it out. Wow. Next Sunday, I go and I'm taking down the chairs in the children's ministry at the church we were at. Taking down the chairs, I'm talking to my buddy. I'm like, bro, can you believe it? And he's been praying with me and walking with me through this and just, you know, putting me back up and encouraging me. And I, and I remember telling him, bro, I can't, the way God took care of me. He goes, I, and I said this, don't recommend it. I was like, Lord, bring on my next fiery trial. <laughs> and then I ended up in Goodyear. So <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I'm teasing you guys. But yeah, don't shout out, bring on my next fiery trial. Just, I mean, it's going to come, but just there's a little bit of arrogance there, you know? And again, the Lord was there, but that's another story. So here's a quote by Jared Wilson um, as we get ready to close. Our assurance of enduring hope is vital for us to remember so that we neither despair of God's commands to obedience, which as sinners we will struggle with, he says, nor despair of God's allowing of suffering, which as a frail people we may break under. Instead, We are empowered to obey, knowing that we are forgiven from the moment of justification all the way through. Sanctification's another education, but justification happens once, and it's done. Instead, we are empowered to obey, knowing that we are forgiven for all eternity, and we are encouraged to hope in God through hardship, knowing that our souls are infinitely secure infinitely secure. From Peter's instructions, we can see the role and even the value of suffering, I hope, a little bit more this morning. Hardship is not, as I stated, outside of God's sovereign will for you and me, because God loves you, and he's molding and shaping you and fashioning you according to the image of Christ. Genuine holiness in life is possible through the power of the Spirit and the gospel. And it is hardship filled, and in this hardship-filled life, we are being trained for godliness. Gotta love that. Gotta remember that. We gotta remind each other, because I'll forget. You'll forget. Right? So let me conclude with 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, the rest of our passage there. In this you rejoice, in everything that we just learned. In this you rejoice, church. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And until that magnificent day arrives, friends, let me encourage you to remember that our Christian heritage is indeed cause for praise. Praise him for his great mercy for our salvation, for Christ's resurrection, for our inheritance, 
and for our eternal security. Amen. Father, we praise you and thank you for the bounty of kindness you have provided to us from and in your word. We know that you will work out these things that we spoke about and you'll hopefully bring to our remembrance the passages and the, and the little sound bites that really opened our hearts and minds by your spirit to, to know how to walk boldly in the days ahead, to not be afraid and to not grow weary in doing good. Bless this church, Lord. May it be a beacon of hope for this community and that you would continue to multiply in our community churches and Christians and life-giving application of your word, Bible studies breaking out amidst the family here, the church family, and Lord, that you would just do the miraculous, that we would let our personal preferences and, the, and, the, and the, just the sketchy stuff that we let get in between us be put aside, put down, and that we would look at the truth and how we're to relate and care for one another by living out the one another's, praying for the leadership here, caring for one another here. Lord, we ask for the miraculous, and we look forward to just your great reputation running and being just abounding with hope in our area of influence. In Christ's name we pray, amen.